So we've uh, begun a series that we started last week on John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 10 again uh, this morning. Before I read that, let me pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your uh, love, your kindness, and your goodness to us. And today, we, we thank you for your power that uh, makes uh, dead people alive. Help us uh, to take you at your word. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So John 3, 1 to 10, the text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. AJ, you can go ahead and put my notes up there. So we tend to think uh, that Jesus is clear. And, and, and he is, but we also miss the fact that uh, uh, a lot of his public teaching, a lot of the things that he did in public, a lot of the things that he said to people, people did not understand. It was unintelligible. What are you talking about? They just didn't know. We read in Matthew where he, he gives the parable of the sower, and, you know, which we think, well, that's pretty simple, straightforward, right? And nobody knew what he was talking about. So much so that his disciples came to him and said, why do you talk in parables? Just tell it to us straight, right? And he had to explain to them what he meant, right? So one of the things that I think is so great about this text is Nicodemus is an honest guy. What are you talking about? I don't understand. This makes no sense. How can this be? Right. That's the, those are. Uh, and, and so we hear that and we think, well, Nicodemus, what's wrong with you, man? You're just ignorant. You don't know better. Right. So the so what we're going to talk about today uh, and what we talked about last week and what we will continue to talk about is the fact that what Jesus is talking about here is something that is um, above and beyond uh, our ability to achieve. And before I say anything else about what's going on in the text or, or, or anything else in the sermon, what, what you have to understand is, is the fundamental thing that Jesus is getting at here is that God raises the dead. Period. Right? Only God raises the dead. Now, you may hear that and you may think, well, of course, you know, we celebrate that every Easter and we, we, we believe that. But the fact is, 
what we, what we rest our hearts and what we rest the ministry of the church on, and in fact, what we rest our sense as individuals of any kind of blessing or any kind of joy or any kind of life is that God is the giver of life and only he is the one who takes that which is dead and makes it live, period. Now, as we unpack this, I think one of the things that you have to think about this, and one of the things that's going on in this text is, if you really begin to think about this, and you begin to think, Jesus says you have to be born again. Uh, he's very pointed in that, and the, the tendency that you may have with that is to be unsettled. And being unsettled is not all bad. Being uh, uh uh, suddenly thinking, wait a minute, you know, we, we kind of go along in life and then suddenly it's as if God breaks into us and says, hey, you know, what you're thinking about or the way you've been proceeding in your life, you know, you're, you're, you're not exactly where you need to be. Well, Jesus is unsettling Nicodemus. Now, you know, because we uh, are such a therapeutic uh, congregation and such a therapeutic culture, Many of us think when someone unsettles us, they're sinning against us. You're making me nervous. You're making me uncomfortable. Well, Jesus doesn't seem to have a lot of trouble with that, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, he's just kind of like an equal opportunity offender and just, you know, uh, and, and, and so we... So to be unsettled is not all bad. In fact, for most of us, uh, for the life that Jesus gives to us to come to us, we have to be unsettled. And so that's what we're going to see here in this text. But the fact that the, the thing that should give you courage today and, and should give you the opportunity to embrace Jesus' unsettling words is he's doing this because he loves Nicodemus and he loves you. Right? The thing that you, as I was working on this this week, uh, one of the th passages I came across that I just really, uh, I don't get very emotional sitting in my office uh, uh, doing the work that I do. But when I came across this verse this week, uh, it's a verse I've heard read a million times. I translated it in Greek. I've done, you know, the whole nine yards. But it, it really got to me this week thinking about this whole context of what God does to us. But God being rich in mercy. Not just that God has mercy, but God is rich in mercy because of the great love not just love, but great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. If you're unsettled by the thought and the question of what it means to be born again, you were unsettled this morning by that as a result of the love of God for you. The rich love of God, the great love, the rich mercy of God. Because that's what he does 
to us, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly how, uh, how he comes at us with this. Because here's the thing, you know, we, we tend to think of ourselves as uh, uh, moving along in life, doing things well, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and the, the faith that we hear about and the work of Christ we hear about is just another thing to add to our lives. Jesus doesn't see it that way. He doesn't see you that way. He doesn't see himself that way. He sees it completely differently. And what he sees about us, human beings, before he makes us alive, is that we're dead. Not like the character in A Princess Bride where you're mostly dead, (laughs) right you're not on life support you're really dead all the way dead now it's kind of hard to get right because I'm breathing I'm I'm eating I'm I'm running I'm working I'm living I'm doing all these things just like Nicodemus a teacher a Pharisee but Jesus loves Nicodemus enough to say, Nicodemus, you're dead. And unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's great. You know, that, that's unsettling and that's disturbing. But the fact is what the scriptures say to us over and over and over again is that, that God loves dead things to make them alive. He loves that which needs to be born again by giving the new birth. And Peter echoes that in his, uh, his epistle where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused, he has caused us to be born again. Right? He did this in us to a living hope through the resurrection of, of, of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so this is something that God operates on us. Go back to the first slide again, A.J., uh, one of the things that you have to see about this is and this is one of the things that we miss about the gospel all the time. You may have a sense that God is gracious in the fact that Jesus died uh, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that seems gracious, right? Or that, well, doesn't seem gracious. It is gracious. And it also is gracious to think about the fact that Jesus lived this life that we could never live and, and, and uh, it connects to us by giving us the gift of that righteous life so that we have access to God. Grace again. But there's more grace. And, and we see it here because not only does Jesus act to save you, not only does he do these things by living and dying and rising again, he does something to you personally. He makes you and me able to see and hear and believe. That's grace. That's personal. That's, that is uh, where he operates on us as uh, people that are dear to him, that matter. He knows your name. He knows your story. He knows your life. And he knows your death. And he knows you're dead, and he won't stand for it. So he makes you alive so you can hear and believe the truth, right? So 
go back to the next slide. Uh, so the, uh, uh, the thing that's important about this to see is that Jesus is actually in the midst of this conversation, this loving conversation he's having with Nicodemus, he's actually upping the ante a little bit with it because he says kind of generally, right, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, whatever any normal person would say, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, we're going to talk a lot about that next week, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You, Nicodemus, you must be born again. This is about... Uh, as personal as it gets. Now, let me just say something uh, uh, to, to clarify a little bit about this. My, my dear friend Matt Wilkes came up to me last Sunday and said, that was a great sermon, and I don't know what you were talking about. You didn't, you didn't say what to be born again is. Well, admittedly, there is a great deal of wrong information about what it means to be born again. There's a great misunderstanding about that. For some people, and we speak of the words to be born again, it means that you have a certain political or cultural viewpoint. For some people, to be born again, it means you have a certain understanding of uh, politics or the culture or those sorts of things. To be born again has nothing to do with politics. To be born again has nothing to do with culture. Indeed, it's transcendent above all of those things, right? Um, it doesn't matter what culture you're from. It doesn't matter what your politics are. What matters here in this situation is the issue of new birth. New birth transcends cultures. It transcends races. It transcends all of the things that we tend to think are what classify people. Jesus sees two kinds of people in the world, the dead and the living. Okay? And so that, that is what we're getting at when we talk about what it means to be born again. And so when he says these words to Nicodemus, he is loving him. He is, he is in a way pleading with him to hear and to understand what it is that he is talking about that. And because what Jesus recognizes uniquely about Nicodemus is, is that Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, right, is somebody who has a lot of good doing, who has a lot of good works, who has, who's doing a lot of things, who knows the Bible inside and out. And, 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 you know, actually, you know, Pharisees make great neighbors. They cut their grass, right? They rake their leaves, right? They... They, uh, uh, they take care of things like that. They are, you know, they're the kind of people that, that you want around. When you get sick, they bring you a casserole, you know? They're, they're, they do these things. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're very good at that. You know, you might, you, you might want a Pharisee as a, uh, as a roommate because uh, they're probably neat, right? They pick up after themselves, right? 
But what, what, what you have to see about this and what Jesus sees about Nicodemus is that for all of his religion, for all of his doing, and for all of his rigorous application of, of the law, he's dead. Because what he is doing and what he has misunderstood is that somehow or other, this doing, these actions, these good works that he is doing, and they are good works in the sense that they're positive things, the fact is they are not getting him where he needs to be. In fact, they may actually be contributing further and further to his alienation from the God who made him and the God who loves him. And so when Jesus says to them, what needs to happen here, Nicodemus, is for you to be born again, he is telling him the most loving thing that he can say to him. Next slide. So it is a hard thing to hear that we are dead. You know, it is a hard thing for us to believe that that could actually be possible because it doesn't seem like that, right? Because we live in this world of our own experience. And so it seems like, well, I'm having these religious experiences. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about is his sovereign grace, his power uh, changing us, reorienting us. You saw uh, uh, Ligdebeth and Brian stand up here and admit in front of you that they are sinners justly deserving God's displeasure and without hope except by his sovereign mercy. You see, the, the fact is what we recognize when we, we talk about the new birth is that we are without hope in and of ourselves, that we can't do this. And, and not only can we not do it, it's not just a matter of information. It's not just a matter of, of trying harder. The, the dead can't learn. And the dead can't try. <laughs> they must be made alive, right? And so that's what Jesus is driving at when he says this. Now, what does it mean then that uh, we have to be made alive. Well, there are a couple of things to note about, about what Jesus is getting at. First of all, the scripture is very clear to us that Jesus is that life that we're talking about. The scriptures tell us Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He says he is the bread of life. And at the end of uh, John's gospel, John says these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, that by believing you may have life in his name. So what Jesus is saying to us is something has to happen to us, and it's supernatural. Nicodemus has an interest in the supernatural. He comes to Jesus because he sees Jesus doing signs. No one could do the signs that you do unless there's some unique power in you. But what Jesus says to him is, you know, these miracles, as good and as great as they are, don't really count for anything. What must happen is you must be supernaturally changed. You must be made alive. Right? So, so how does that work? Well, and, and, and I know for us, when we hear that, we think, well, okay, big deal. What's my experience of that like? After all, 
Everything is, you know, we, we tend to, to measure things by our experience, right? So when you hear those words that you must be made alive, you must be born again, you assume that it's going to be like a charge of electricity through you, or you're going to be strangely warmed, or you're going to get this surge of adrenaline, or any number of those things. And sometimes that happens, no doubt. Uh, no doubt that, that, that the new life that we receive in Christ changes us and energizes us. Those things are true. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to know what the experience is, so how you can have some understanding of what it means to be born again, it simply means this. You will experience, next slide, the, 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 the fact that you are born again by faith. Simple as that. Simply by believing what Jesus says about you and what he says about himself, right? John Piper says this, and from our side, the way we experience this is that faith in Jesus is awakened in our hearts. Spiritual life and faith in Jesus come into being together. The new life makes the faith possible, and since spiritual life always awakens faith and expresses itself in faith, there is no life without faith in Jesus. Therefore, we should never separate the new birth from faith in Jesus. From God's side, we're united to Christ in the new birth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. From our side, we experience this union by faith in Jesus. Next slide. Uh, listen to how John puts this together in 1 John 5, 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Born of God, the key to victory. Faith is the key to victory because faith is the way we experience, experience being born of God. We're simply convinced that what Jesus says and what he has done is true. That's it. That's it. That the gospel is true. That what Jesus says about you, what he says about me, what he says about himself, and what he does on our behalf is the truth. It's reality. It's what is, right? And, and now, let's be clear about that because uh, the, the fact of the matter is faith in all of us waxes and wanes. You know, sometimes you're full of faith. Sometimes you are so confident in the love and the grace of God. You are so confident in the truth of, of, of the cross and the truth of the resurrection that it just seems to overwhelm you. And then there are other times in life where you're hanging by a thread. Guess what? You're not. You're not hanging by a thread. You're not. Because the fact is, that the truth is, if faith is something that we generate, and if it's something that, that, that if we are the final link in this chain that God is building to us, we're in trouble because guess what? We're the weakest link. Okay? <laughs> so what our hope and our trust is in that is that, that our faith is going to wax and wane, but the object of our faith is ever strong. Right? Our faith, our experience of this goes up and down. And for many of us, frankly, you know, our lives look an awful lot <laughs> like uh, uh, people who, uh, like a homeless guy 
who d- freezes to death in an alley sleeping on a mattress stuffed with $100 bills. Because the fact is that the, 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 the thing that we major on so often is our grasp of this without first resting in the fact that his grasp is certain. And once he's laid hold of you, he will not let go. You know, the, 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 the truth is uh, for us uh, today as, as we think about this is there is no other reason to take Jesus at his word other than the fact that he's the truth. There is no reason to believe, there is no reason to entrust yourself into this gospel, into this message, and into this person, except that it's true. And that's what we bank on. You know, sometimes when we speak of faith, what we we seem to indicate by that is, is that, well, it's not really true, but we pretend like it's true. But the fact of the matter is uh, that the truth for us today is that Jesus Christ has really come, he has really lived, he has really died, he has risen again, and by his spirit, he lives in us, continuing in us that new life that he began when he gave us the gift of faith. That's our hope today. And so as we come to the table, we have an opportunity to be re-reminded again this morning of just the object of our faith and what it is that he has accomplished on our behalf. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's confess uh, our sins together. O God of the highest heaven, take full possession of my heart and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel lust. Let no vile passion resist your holy war. Manifest your mighty power and make you yours forever. I was dead in iniquities, having no eyes to see you, no ears to hear you, no taste to relish your joys, no intelligence to know you. But your spirit has quickened me, has brought me into a new world as a new creature, has given me spiritual perception has opened me to your word as light, guide, solace, joy. Keep me, for I cannot keep myself.
brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his followers. We certainly remember what Jesus did for us by living, dying, and rising again. We also uh, bear witness today as we eat this bread and drink this cup that Jesus has made us alive. We were once dead, and now we are alive in him. And the life that we live now is in and through and by his spirit who is at work and alive in us. And so when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we are proclaiming what has been true, what is true, and what will be true. Jesus has died and risen again for us. He is at work in us now, taking what was dead and making alive. And the future holds a beautiful, wonderful eternity with him where sin and death no longer have any hold on us, where the new birth reaches its full flower. That's what we proclaim. That's what we believe. And if that is your hope today, that Jesus uh, is your Savior, the atoning sacrifice for your sins, and uh, that you have proclaimed that to a body of believers somewhere, he welcomes you to his table. He welcomes you to eat with him and to drink with him and to have your heart encouraged by his great love, his richness and mercy, and his new life that he has given to you. As the uh, elders come down front to assist,